Well, we are in the middle of this relationship rescue series. Um, we mentioned last week, we've advertised uh, all over. Today, we're talking about sex. That is our topic. And I know some people are shocked by that, that you would talk about that in church. Yet it's talked about everywhere else, including children's libraries at the public schools. It's everywhere, but in church somehow we're silent. And I am curious about that because I understand by reading my Bible, the origin of sex and who created it and who it belongs to. Yet somehow we've come into a place where we've allowed the world and culture to take ownership of something that God designed. And I don't know how you grew up. I grew up in a family that came out of my parents, uh, came out of the Pentecostal holiness movement. And if you don't know what that means, those are some serious Christians right there. Uh, my mom used to wear the bun stacked up on top of her head, had the, the jean skirt all the way down to her ankles, uh, no jewelry, no makeup, all that kind of stuff. When they got married, they could have one ring. A husband could have one watch. I mean, it was just a different kind of a thing. And it was just an interesting type of upbringing to be a part of a family that had come out of the holiness movement, very different uh, than a lot of people grew up. Um, I didn't hear my first cuss word until I was in maybe sixth grade, right? Some of y'all grew up a little different than that. Uh, I, I, I lived a pretty sheltered life, and I had wonderful parents that I absolutely adore and love very much, and I'm super grateful for, but it was puritanical in some ways, and I'm glad about that. I'm grateful for that, but there were a number of things that uh, weren't necessarily talked about in my own parents. They came out of their parents. My parents were born in 1938, and they came out of a generation where people didn't talk about stuff. I remember hearing a story about from my mom that she uh, held hands with the young man when she was young and came home and was terrified that she was pregnant because her mom told her, you don't hold hands with no boy, you end up pregnant. That's the only explanation she got, right? And so I remember, I remember some of those conversations early on and my parents did their best to have great conversations with us as kids, but the world seemed to have its own experts, Growing up in the 80s, those of you that would remember, we had an expert on television. It was a little Jewish lady named Ruth. You all remember Dr. Ruth Westenheimer? This lady was the original television sexpert right here. She's actually got an amazing story. She was a refugee of the Holocaust. Her family sent her away and she grew up in an, or an orphanage in Switzerland and came to America completely destitute, uh, but was uh, studied. And then in 1950, she went back over and lived in a kibbutz and got married and, and, and God had an amazing plan for her, but she was the American sexpert and she had a show kind of like Dr. Phil on TV, but she would talk about all kinds of things and I thought it was extremely funny uh, living in such a pure household uh, to sit there and listen to this expert talk about all kinds of wild and crazy things. And it seems like when you look at the world, it seems like the world has ownership of this thing called sex. And I want to take just a moment as we get into this, and I want to kind of make a very simple disclaimer. And here is my disclaimer. This message, I'm going to talk about a whole lot of different things. I'm not going to be crude or crass or anything like that. There's nothing that you would need to uh, 
be concerned. We gave you information last week that, hey, if you want your kids to be in kids' church, that's great. I'm not going to be in any way uh, inappropriate. Uh, I think if you have teenagers, they absolutely need to hear this. If they have a cell phone, they're hearing stuff already. If they go to school, they're hearing stuff already. And it's important that we take a topic as important as this for everyday life and we bring it into the boundaries or bring it inside of the church and get God's perspective on it because he is the creator of it anyway. But this is not a message of condemnation. It's not a message of guilt or shame. It may be in some ways a message of conviction where it awakens something inside of someone and helps them or provokes them to make different types of decisions. And I would chalk that up as a win. Anytime that the Lord gives me a message, I hope that it provokes someone to make a life change and a life decision in some way, shape, or form. I want to start with this important statement. Sex belongs to God. Sex belongs to God doesn't belong to the devil. The devil is not a creator. The devil is a counterfeiter. He's not a creator. He can't create. He, he steals. He twists. He perverts. The word wicked is where we get the term for a wick, like on a candle. And a wick is pieces of string or yarn or fabric, and it's twisted together with wax to hold it in place. It's twisted. And what the enemy does is he takes something that's beautiful that God created and he twists it, he perverts it, and he tries to steal it. But sex belongs to God. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, the very first chapter of the Bible, the very first encounter with God in man. Genesis chapter 1, 26 says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and over the livestock and wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So we see in the design of humanity, God made them, number one, in his image and likeness, and number two, he made us to rule. He made us to have dominion in the earth. He continues with this. So God created mankind in his own image, the image of God. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground. So God made man and woman. He made mankind and he gave them their original initial command that they were supposed to obey. Their instructions were to have sex. You read that, right? I read it to you. The very first commandment for mankind, for Adam and Eve, for husband and wife, was to have sex. The first priority. I don't think he had to talk Adam into it think he was pretty excited about it. When I get to heaven, I want to see Eve. <laughs> got to see her, the first one. What did she look like? You know who else I got to see? Sarah. <laughs> Sarah was a hundred years old and kings were still trying to steal her. That is one good looking woman right there. <laughs> got to see her. Be fruitful. Increase in number. Sex is a gift from God. 
a gift from God. But guess what else? Sex is a gift back to God. God created sex for a specific purpose. He gave a commandment for a husband and a wife to practice it. And when they practice it, it's part of their obedience and worship and a gift back to him. It's the gift that gives back to God. Sex is also sacred. It's sacred. That means it is set apart for a holy purpose. Sex is not common. One of the perversions in our culture is that it's just sex. I heard someone say that recently, and it rubbed me very wrong. They said, it's just sex. There's nothing just about sex. It's sacred. It belongs to God. It was made for a specific purpose. It was designed by God. It belongs to him. Your sexual identity or behavior or activity does not belong to you. It belongs to him. You belong to him. It's not common. I'm embarrassed that Christians have laid down and become, pardon me, but so impotent in regards to walking in the authority on the subject matter of sexuality in our world. I think Christians need to stand up. I think Christians need to rise up. Sex belongs to God, not Satan, not culture, not the world, not Dr. Ruth, not Nicki Minaj, not all these other nasty folks. It doesn't belong to them. It belongs to God. Let's dig a little deeper. Genesis chapter 2, verse 21. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. This is a little more backstory. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord... God made woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no Shame must be nice. We've never lived a life with no shame because we exist after the fall of mankind. We exist after the release of knowledge of good and evil. God created Adam and Eve. Their literal instructions, as as, uh, John Gray says, the commandment for, for, for Adam was to Rule over the fish, so he's supposed to go fishing. Rule over the birds, so he's supposed to go hunting. And then make lots of babies. So fishing, hunting, and sex, that's his instructions. That was a pretty good deal, according to John Gray. But you understand that when they were lured into sin by the devil, and how does the devil do it? Every time, same trick, did God really say? Watch this. Did God really say that marriage is only between a man and a woman? Did he really say that? Is God that cruel? Does God not love all people? I mean, shouldn't all different types of people be allowed to be married and enjoy marriage? Listen, 
all people can do whatever they want to do, that doesn't mean God blesses it. There's only one marriage that God blesses. This is not a message of condemnation. It's not a message of hate. It's not a message of judgment against anyone else. I'm reading you the Bible. God designed marriage as a union between a man and a woman to come together, and as they came together, they would become one flesh. It's the picture it explains in Ephesians 5 of Jesus Christ and his church unified for the cause of God, with God as the center of it. It calls it a great mystery, that it's Christ and his church. So when you're messing with marriage, you're messing with Jesus. And you can have a civil union, you could have a marriage, you could have whatever lifestyle you want to have, that doesn't mean God blesses it. Doesn't bless it. And if I have to go to jail for saying that, I'll have a nice cot and three meals a day and I will be ripped, oh my God, eight million push-ups a day. <laughs> Nobody asking me to get me this or get me that. Do you know what it's like to live in a house full of women? For crying out loud, just playing. I don't want to go to jail. But, but listen, I'm not going to shut up. I'm not going to stop preaching the Bible. I'm not going to stop telling the truth. I love all people. I love all people. And I love enough to tell the truth. They were both naked and they felt no shame. God's design for sex Sex God's way is what we'll discover today. Sex God's way has no side effects, no negative consequences, no baggage, no damage, no bitterness, no hurt. When it's done God's way, it's free. It's beautiful. See, the problem with uh, growing up in a church culture where you don't talk about sex is it leaves you only one option to learn about it. The world. So you learn about it through a twisted, wicked lens as opposed to a pure godly lens. See, God made sex and he made it wonderful and beautiful and he made it a commandment to his children to obey and when they obeyed him, it would be part of their worship. But he put it inside of a boundary. And the boundary was called marriage between a man and a woman, a godly, God-ordained, blessed relationship. And that was, if I might say, the container that sex could exist in and be safe. Solomon uh, was not Dr. Ruth, but I think he had a little more experience. Uh, not, as, not as much, maybe Ruth may have uh, had more degrees. I don't know. But Solomon had 300 wives and 700 concubines. We'll call it, uh, what are those degrees where you, you, you just did a bunch of work and they give you a free degree? There you go. Honorary doctorate and, and all of that, Solomon. Uh, Solomon made a lot of mistakes. Solomon, at the end of his life, had a lot to repent from. Solomon opened the door because he, his wives, it wasn't just like he was bored. Now, I, I did, 
I did do the, all the way the math on it, but 1,000 women, that's like uh, 2.746983 uh, women per day. I'm sorry, I didn't really do the math. I'm just joking. <laughs> that would have been funny if I did. Uh, somebody, Dave, can you text me the math on that real quick? Um, but that's the only thing you're allowed to text me. Dave used to text me really stupid pictures, uh, like, never mind, I'm not going to tell you. Right in the middle of my message, they'd pop up. I actually turned it off now because he kept doing it so often. And um, he, he loved that a lot. Um, God gave sex a boundary. It's called, it's called godly marriage. And Solomon, when he wrote the book of song, the song of songs, some scholars believe that the song of songs was actually written to the queen of Sheba. The queen of Sheba was an African queen from Ethiopia. Uh, we, uh, just at dinner, at an Ethiopian restaurant in Dallas. I love Ethiopian food. It's incredible. I've had many Ethiopian friends. Ethiopian people literally are some of the most beautiful people on the planet. They're strikingly gorgeous people. And queen, the Queen of Sheba, when you read the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs, it literally talks about the wife that he's writing this to as having black skin. So Solomon, a Jew, married women from all different types of nationalities, he used marriage as one of the ways to fill or to build treaties and, and alignments with other nations and all that type of thing. And he lived, his entire kingdom was in a place of unrealized uh, un, you know, peace uh, because of the blessing of David that was on his life. And there is the belief that the Queen of Sheba was actually the one that the Song of Songs was written for. And there is a tribe of people called the Abyssinian people that are believed to be the descendants of King Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. And in this Song of Songs, over and over and over again, Solomon and his bride say back and forth to each other, don't awaken love before it's time, or don't stir the fires of passion before it's time. The word that's used for love in that phrase is a word that can connect into sexual behavior. And as a, as a love relationship between two people that were engaged to be married, they continue to say, don't awaken it before it's time. Sex, can I say it like this? Sex is seasonal in life. You have seasons of your life that are not sexual seasons. They're not to be sexual seasons. They're to be seasons that are set apart unto God, where you abstain trusting and waiting on God until the season for sexuality comes upon you, and that is the season of marriage. And even in marriage, there are seasons of sexuality, and there are seasons where it's not so much. Sickness can play a part. Uh, different types of disability can play a part. Growing older can play a part. I met a gentleman once. He was 82 years old, and he went up and hugged the young lady. He said, he said don't worry, I'm too old to do anything but hug. And that was, his, that was his disclaimer. He could just hug and be pure heart. He was a preacher. He'd just hug and be pure heart. I can't do nothing but hug. I'm just, I'm just a hugger, right? And, and, and that was his position. He was in a different season. It's really, listen, can I tell you? There are seasons where it's incredibly important and it consumes your mind. And there are other seasons where you're busy, got stuff to do, but it doesn't make it less important and it doesn't make the power of it inside of your relationship uh, less potent. And so I want to talk about some of the blessings of it 
and some of the specific things that are important for you to understand. But I want to first start with this because I want to just make a simple illustration up here. I brought my favorite frying pan. This is my omelet pan. Um, I'm a mean omelet maker. And the reason is because when I was a senior in high school, I got kicked out of Spanish 3 because I made fun of a pregnant teacher, and I would never recommend that. And um, so I took cooking class, the best class I ever took. I was the only guy in class. It was fantastic for my prospects. And uh, I learned how to make an omelet. That's about it. But man, can I make a mean omelet. And what I learned was that a frying pan is a type of container that's made for heat. I can put it on high heat, full heat, full flames. I can throw this thing in an oven. I can put it on a grill. I can put this thing anywhere and it can handle the heat because it was made for fire. Does that make sense? It's made for fire. This is the container that was designed to put something in and have fire on it. This is made for barbecues and microwaves. And that's about it. Because when I put fire on this, it doesn't hold up. Because it wasn't made for it. Your season of singleness is not made for the fire of sexuality. Number one way, you want to ruin a great dating relationship? Sleep with them. You'll put the fire on so hot, it'll begin to destroy it. Number one way to ruin a great thing, sleep with them. Dating relationships are not made of the material to contain the fires of passion. Teenagers, Wait, why do I say that? Because I was a teenager who didn't. And I brought so much baggage into my marriage, so much damage into my marriage. Decades of unpacking the luggage of the damage from 14, 15, 16. It's not built for it. Dating life isn't built for it. Oh, but Joel, we're fine. We're, we're going to get married one day, maybe. Or maybe that's someone else's husband. And you're committing pre-adultery, also known as fornication. Well, Joel, how am I supposed to? I mean, you got to test drive the car. You, can't, you don't buy a car, you don't test drive. If your future spouse is simply no more than a vehicle to take you somewhere, you're not ready for marriage. When I was engaged to Jennifer, uh, I had a, a lady that came up to me, um, found out. You know, it's funny when, funny if. Uh, Funny how the critters come out of the woods when you get engaged, right? And uh, this critter came up to me, and she said, was questioning, why, why, would you, why would you get married? Why are you, you're, you're 20 years old, you're young, you're world champ, you, you, you could have anybody, you could do anything, why would you get married? Why? And then she said this, she said, why would you buy the cow 
if you could just drink the milk for free. I guess she was trying to offer me some milk. I don't know. I'm lactose intolerant though. I'm just joking. I'm not. I said to her, I said, number one, I said, my fiance is not a cow. Number two, I'm not drinking the milk because I made a vow to God at 17 years old that I kept to my wedding day that I wouldn't have sex until I got married and I would trust God. Well, Joel, how, how, how did you know that it was, that it was going to be good? How did you know that you would be compatible if you didn't take the test drive, if you didn't sample the milk? Jennifer and I were best friends for six months. Only friends. I was in a season where I had dedicated myself to God. I wasn't dating anyone at all. I was very attracted to Jennifer, obviously. And I, uh, but I wasn't dating at all. I was, I was living for the first time in a season of, of real purity and real abstinence and real dedication unto God. And so she had an ex-boyfriend that came in town. And, and, and he was in town for a couple of days and the second he left, I was on her doorstep. I was at her apartment. The second he left, I just, I was freaking out. This dude from her past is now in her life and we're just friends, but this dude, and, and I didn't know what to do. And, and I, and she let me in. I sat on the couch and I, I didn't know what to say. I just knew I had to do something. I didn't know what to do. I, and she's like, what is wrong with you? What you're acting so weird. What is, what is wrong with you? And I was, I tried to talk. I couldn't talk. I didn't know what to do. So I just, I kissed her. And 45 minutes later, we had our first kiss end. No clothes came off, no sexual activity. I'm talking Mount Vesuvius, the sky fell, eruptions happened, the earth went backwards in its revolutions, angels are, oh, it was, I didn't have to do anything else. Unbelievable chemistry. Unbelievable chemistry. To this day, the greatest kiss ever and still going. I trusted God. And can I honestly tell you, kissing her was one of the worst decisions ever made. Because now I knew there was chemistry. And it got hard. But we stayed pure. And we waited. And God rewarded us. He rewarded us. Jennifer and I have been through a lot of different seasons in 28 years of marriage. Um, Seasons of having children. Those seasons change your your sex life some. You don't sleep, number one. You're grumpy all the time. You don't feel good. I I mean, do you remember when they finally slept through the night? You're like, what was that? It's hard. It's challenging. Seasons where there was depression. Seasons where we lost a daughter to cancer. All kinds of different seasons. We had seasons where we were madly in love. Seasons where we didn't like each other at all. Seasons where, where we were very active with each other and, and obeying God in that way. And seasons where it was a major challenge. Seasons where there was a lot. It took a lot of fortitude to, to hold together and to be faithful because we weren't happy. Marriage is hard, guys. 
But you stay faithful and you stay committed and you stay in it and you keep praying and you keep serving and you keep doing what's right and God will reward you. And can I tell you that for the last eight uh, plus years, we begin to move into a season. We're not perfect in any way, shape and form, but we learned how in our 40s and now we're in our 50s and we've learned how to fall back in love again. And we've learned how and literally our, our romantic life is is like newlywed college age level romantic life because we've learned how to fall in love again. The season doesn't have to end just because you've been there a while. Did you know that the cycle of what they call erotic love or romantic love goes in seven year cycles? Into the seventh year is one of the prime years for divorce to happen. Interesting. Or affairs to happen. You've got to guard yourself, protect yourself. Sex is serious. It, it has serious ramifications. That word uh, is a French word. It, it means to form branches. When you make a decision to have sex, you form branches that bear fruit, either good or evil. There's consequences to sex outside of marriage. It's not free. It's cheap. It's not free. 1 Corinthians 6.15 Do you know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? A harlot? A promiscuous woman? Can I tell you, my heart breaks for what I see in this young generation. Yes. Yes. Breaks for them. The internal brokenness in their souls is manifesting in some of their behaviors. I watched a video recently um, of a, I'm talking a beautiful young lady, probably 23, 24. Beautiful. But she wasn't a lady. She was talking about her Body count. Hundreds. Body count. And every time, you're a fraction of who you were before. And years later, you show up to marry your wife. And that's what you give her. It's serious. The beautiful thing is inside of marriage God made sex to be unbelievably healing. It's not just a Marvin Gaye song. Sexual healing is very real. There's tremendous amount of scientific backing for this, all kinds of studies that are done. 16, one of the studies I was looking at, 16,000 couples were studied. And the number one thing that it said that made them feel bonded and close together and feel a sense of happiness in their marriage was frequent 
and quality sexual engagement with their spouse. Interestingly enough, the women in the study said that the frequent and quality sexual encounters with their husband were the number one thing in their life that made them feel happiness. See, our, our world wants to almost make it like it's a guy thing. No, it's a, it's, a, it's a God thing. And God designed it to be something that's a gift that you give. My friend Kevin said, this is God's wedding gift that he gives. It's a wedding gift to your marriage that's just for the two of you. It's never shared with anything anyone else. It's a private wedding gift just for the two of you. Interestingly, one of the things that they call the result of the positive, healthy sexual engagement between husbands and wives was something they called the afterglow. And what that means is that both parties for 48 hours after having a good quality time together have increased levels of serotonin, dopamine, all of their endorphins. They, they literally feel a type of high and are bonded together, feel more in love, feel more connected, feel closer than any other time, and it lasts 48 hours, which means that every other day is a really nice schedule to keep you feeling happy and loving, and you can lose that love and feeling, but you don't have to. You don't have to lose that love and feeling. You can figure out how to get it back. And, and listen, I know there are marriages that have been through some stuff. My marriage has been through some stuff. And, and I want to encourage you to continue to pray and seek God and allow him to speak. Sex is an act of worship. You're either worshiping God or you're worshiping something else. God created sex as a worship act. It's an act of obedience. I know that sounds strange, but it's an act of obedience unto God. It's worship unto God. Satan, again, a perverter, a counterfeiter, a thief, the one who originated the statement, I can be like the most high God. I will make myself like the most high God. For all of human experience has tried to steal the worship of God through perverting sexuality. In every single culture, on every single continent, there are demonic gods that have been worshiped and they are gods of sexuality. They're gods of perversion. And the way they want to be worshipped is through perverse sexual behavior. This is all through your Bible. It's all through your history books. This is an absolute fact, a historical fact, a biblical fact, that the way that the demon gods were worshipped in other cultures was through what they called sacred prostitution. One of the goddesses that's all through the Bible is the goddess, goddess Ashtara. She had an, her, her, her statue was a 
pole. It was called the Ashtara pole. It was a phallic symbol or a symbol of a male genitalia. And Ashtara was the goddess of fornication, specifically the goddess of prostitution, the goddess of immorality. And she wasn't just in the Canaanite culture. The same goddess was a goddess in the Greek culture, a goddess in the Roman culture, Aphrodite, every culture, in the Egyptian culture, in the Babylonian culture, in the Assyrian culture, in the Nordic cultures, all over the world, every country has a fertility, a fertility goddess, and that fertility goddess is worshipped through all types of horrific sexual perversions that are outside of the boundaries that God has designed. It's a demonic principality that is eternal. It didn't die. It's still here. One day it will be in the lake of fire, but it still has rulership. Satan is called the prince and the power of the air. And his demonic forces have rule in different places and over different specific things. Interestingly enough, if you study Ashtoreth, she was the goddess also of homosexuality. She was the goddess of cross-dressing. She was the goddess of transgenderism. Do you remember Jezebel in the Bible? Jezebel, she was the one who worshipped Baal and Ashtoreth. Baal was the god of money, the god of greed, the god of power. Ashtoreth, the goddess of sexuality. Remember Ahab? Ahab was a wuss of a man whose wife was an evil witch, literally. She worshipped demons. She had all of her men go through a procedure. Do you remember what it was? They were castrated. They were eunuchs. Astra is the god of sex change. What you're seeing in our culture is not something cute. What you're seeing in our libraries at public schools, what you're seeing on our televisions, what you're seeing with trans, whatever they are, filthy, perverted, yes, filthy, perverted people who are obeying demons, wanting to influence children to be like them. It's disgusting, it's perverse, it's wicked, it's demonic, and I will not stand for it, and I will not apologize for the Bible, and I will not back down, not one bit. It's disgusting. Sexualizing children? As a victim of child sexual abuse? I'd love to meet some of those guys. It won't be, I'll be laying hands on them, but we won't be praying in tongues. Hits me real close to home. My heart breaks for people that struggle with their sexual identity. Because on some levels, I understand. Because I was a six-year-old, seven-year-old, eight-year-old that was massively confused because I'd been molested by an 18-year-old grown man. So I understand the confusion. I'm not against the person. I am against the action. 
And I am against the agenda of trying to sexualize children and trying to make something normal that's clearly demonic. I love people. I've, I've had a number of friends. People that have gone to our church that are walking through that. It's a horrifically hard season to battle against what you feel inside and the truth of God's word. My heart goes out for them. I'll always love them. I'll always embrace them. I'll always accept them. And I'll also always tell them the truth that's in the Bible. In love. I'm going to wrap by giving you a couple of very important rules. If you're going to do sex God's way. Number one rule. No outside participants. It's a two-player game. It's a two-player game. We say it like this. It's not a one-player game. Ooh, that's another subject, isn't it? <laughs> Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterers and the sexually immoral. I've seen that verse twisted, perverted by people because the word kept pure means undefiled. And I've seen people say, oh, that means the wedding bed is undefiled. So anything a husband and a wife want to do, they can do anything because they're married. And if they want to bring other influences or bring other people in or whatever, that's, the wedding bed's undefiled so they can bring other. No, 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 no. You don't get to twist and pervert that. It's a gift for two, Adam and Eve. If God had intended it for it to be differently, he would have designed it differently. It's to be kept undefiled, to be kept uncontaminated, to be set apart, to be sacred, holy. Rule number two, be in total unity. Unity. It's about agreement. It's about oneness. It's about two people being one. It's about unity. Look at this. First Corinthians 7, 3. The husband, this entire passage is about sexuality. This is the passage where Paul says, uh, I think it's best if you can be single like me, what he called a spiritual eunuch, uh, someone that has the gift of singleness. That's what Paul said he had. He goes, I think it's best if a man abstains from sexuality, but if you can't, it's better for you to marry than to burn with passion because the fires of passion burn real bright. They burn hot. He says, and so if you marry, it says that the husband should give himself sexually to his wife and the wife should give herself sexually to the husband. Only the two of them. It says then the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. It's his duty to his wife. And likewise, the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body yet, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. I think this is my body, but it's actually Jennifer's. And Jennifer doesn't share. She doesn't play well with others. She has many claws on both hands and feet, right? This is hers. 
The only thing I'm allowed to do is with her permission. Does that make sense? This belongs to her. Lucky gal. (laughs) In the same way, she belongs to me. It's mine. That's mine. Right? God designed it that way. She has authority over my body. I have authority over her body. Watch this. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourself to prayer. Why would Paul say that? Paul says that because some people, due to hurt and brokenness, weaponize sex. They withhold it. They use it harshly. They use it to hurt or to punish or to control or to manipulate. Paul said the only reason to deprive each other is if you are mutually consenting to a time of prayer and fasting and none of y'all are that holy. It's the only godly reason. Now we understand, I've already talked about this. It's, It's a seasonal thing. There are times that you go without because of different various reasons. But it has to be two people in agreement because it's about unity. You gotta work together, you gotta help each other. There was a time early on where Jen and I were working through something and uh, I was leaving on a trip and uh, we weren't getting along. You ever, you ever have one of those where you don't get along before you leave and then when, when you're gone, then you miss each other and you get back and you don't get along? It's pretty frustrating. <laughs> and uh, she's going to murder me for saying this, but, 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 but I'm going to say it anyway, and where's she going to go, right? It's 20, she ain't leaving me now. <laughs> but I remember just in that place, and, and she and I are very, very funny with each other. I, like, I say stuff on purpose all the time just to mess with her, because I think it's funny. I'm not chauvinist, but I think saying things and then seeing how she looks at me is hilarious. You know, it's just, it's just really funny. We all know who... Uh, who Boss is the other one around. We all know this. Uh, but, but at the same time, so, so I said this to her, and it didn't go over well, but later on it became a great topic of conversation. I said, don't send me out hungry to a buffet line. And uh, I don't recommend it. I, it's not a good thing to say. Um, but the point was, <laughs> if I'm full, I'm full. Doesn't matter if there's filet mignon and lobster. I'm full, man. I'm stuffed. Man, just feed a brother for crying out loud, right? And, and, and so it's just funny. I know, I know. And, you know, I ducked. It's quick. I was quick on my toes. But, in the, it, but listen, conversely, there's times in our relationship where she's like, Joel, you're not giving me what I need. I need more of your attention. I need your, more of your affection. I, I, need, I, need your t- I need your presence. You're too busy for me. I'm lonely. It's both. She just says it better than I say it. Last rule. I know there's probably way more than this, but I'm a simple guy, so three rules. Third rule, be incredibly Generous. Um, 
I had two encounters uh, when I was engaged to Jennifer with people trying to talk me out of it. One of them was the, the hoochie mama that talked about cows and stuff. And the other one was a, a friend and one of my clients and he was an old Vietnam vet. And he's like, we're having lunch. We're sitting there literally at a little Chinese like rice box, you know, or whatever egg roll place, whatever they call. I can't remember what it was called. A uh, holy egg roll or golden egg roll or something. It was in broke. It was in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. You know, small town Oklahoma. And we're Egg Roll Express. That's it. Egg Roll Express. I knew it'd come to me. All the Oklahomans like that's the one. Had a cockroach in my rice one day. That was not good. All right, praise God. Moving forward. So we're sitting there having Chinese food, and um, David was his name. He says. Aren't you happy, Joel? I mean, aren't you happy? I said, yeah, man, I'm real happy. He goes, like, like you're happy. Like, ins- on the inside, you're happy, right? I said, yeah, man, I'm, I'm really happy. And he goes, then why are you getting married? Why? And it, I, I'm like, and it, this is old Vietnam, grizzly old Vietnam vet. And I start laughing. I'm like, man, I love her, man. I love her. I'm happy because I am with her and I want to be with her. And, you know, I'm happy. And he goes, all right, fine, fine, fine. Well, if I can't talk you out of it, let me give you some advice. And I'm laughing. i am got my chopsticks working. And, and this is what he says to me. He goes, Joel, he goes, sex is like a Chinese dinner. And I, and I about spit my food out. I started laughing so hard. Because I'm like, this is so far to left field, right? I'm getting, all of a sudden now I'm getting sex advice from the guy that just told me not to get married. And, and he goes, sex is like a Chinese dinner. I'm like, okay, okay, go on. Continue, please. Now I must know. He says, it ain't over until you both get a cookie. I'll let you figure that one out on your own. <laughs> Remember, sex was a gift. God gave a gift to Adam and Eve. He gave a gift to a man and a woman, to a husband and a wife. It's a gift. And it's a gift that we give back to God. So the whole gift of sex is all about giving. It's about giving, 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 giving. The world, Satan, culture, perverts it to be about getting or taking. You cannot have a happy marriage with a taker's mentality, trying to get yours. It's about giving. It's about how much can I give? I'm going to give more than the other. I'm going to serve more than the other. I'm going to please more than the other. Anything and everything that your spouse desires that you are in unity about, give generously. Be unbelievably generous. And you will find yourself two very generous people trying to serve each other, please each other, love each other, give each other as much pleasure as as possible. Don't have a lot to fight about. It's about giving. It's about generosity. Listen to your spouse. Learn from your spouse. It's an adventure. God gave a great gift. Now, it's important that you understand that there's a a season of life where it feels like sex is everything. The only thing. Some guys, young guys. It's funny how God times it out to where, uh, I believe scientifically, men typically peak with their drive in their 20s, and then women hit their peak in their 40s. Isn't that funny? How God timed that out? 
flip the script a little bit, keep it interesting. It's amazing what can happen when people stay together. I understand that life happens and, 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 and people separate and that's not a statement for any type of condemnation or, or bad feelings. But I encourage you, if you're in a place where maybe things are rocky or maybe things have cooled off, maybe it feels like the fire's gone out, I would encourage you with all my heart to get that lighter out, throw some kindling on it, start a little fire going, figure it out, push forward, don't quit, don't give up, don't give up, don't quit, get the fire going. God can renew, God can restore. God can bring you back from a place where you don't even like each other and bring you into a place where you're madly crazy in love with each other. Now, you still may drive each other nuts from time to time, but God can fix anything. He can fix anything. Submit to your season. Trust God. Amen? Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, for your love, for your faithfulness. Father, would you do incredible miracles inside of hearts? God, I know people that are in this room that have been dealing with this battle. It's hard, Father. This, this purity battle is so hard. This abstinence in different seasons of life is so hard. Faithfulness is not easy. It's easy to break rules. It's easy to break rules. It's easy to go out of bounds. Father, help your people to be faithful. Help your people to trust you. I just have this sense that there's someone, and I'm not going to make any type of weird ask on any level but I feel like there's someone and, and, but, but as I say that I also, I also don't want to preclude anyone I'm not going to ask anyone to do anything I'm just going to pray a prayer but I also want you to know if, if you feel for any reason that you need to get out of your seat and you need to lay before the Lord and you need to give your life to him or you need to give your, your sexuality to him or you need to do something drastic please by all means obey God don't Obey God. Do whatever the Holy Spirit moves on you to do. But I just have this sense that there's somebody here that needs to make God the God of their sexuality. That needs to make God the Lord of their sexuality. To submit their sexuality to Him. Maybe you've been dealing with, with, with temptation. Maybe you've been dealing with uh, confusion. Maybe you've been dealing with making really bad decisions. I don't know. But what I do know is that therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the law of life and liberty has set us free from the law of sin and death. Jesus Christ paid the price to set you free, to make you free, to restore you, to renew you in Jesus' name. Accept his gift of freedom. Accept his gift of freedom. Thank you, Jesus.